Yeah, yeah. great. Sunny day. I'm in Brighton, which is you know an hour south of London. We're mm. by the beach. Everyone's at the beach, having a drink, having a good time. Life is good. And you're you're here with us inside, <laughs> sweating your ass off in I, front of a mic. I wouldn't be anywhere else. Ah, nice. That's good to hear. <laughs> Hello there, listener, and welcome to the fifth roundtable of the Metacast, the show in which we explore the business of video games. I'm your host, Nico, and today I'm joined by some old and some new voice, or a old and a new voice. Uh, we have David Amor and Florian Ziegler on the podcast. Today we are discussing the uses of blockchain in gaming. We are giving our thoughts on this year's E3, and we're also talking about gaming subscriptions. Do they make sense or not at all? And as today's bonus segment, we are doing another Pitch the Game contest. I finished 80s and it was awesome, but I need something new. So uh, that's what we're doing at the end. I'm very curious what my panelists have in store for me. All right, some quick introductions. Today, we're very happy to have David Amor joining us from London. David is a gaming industry veteran with 10 years at publishers, 10 years running console companies and 10 years running mobile gaming companies. And so uh, a fun fact for David. So I have three younger sisters. And when we were young, I was uh, very much the nerd of the family. So uh, whenever I could find some free time, I could be found behind our family computer or, you know, playing on our PlayStation on, on the TV. And that usually meant that whatever we would play a game, me and my sisters, I would always be the one winning because I had all the experience and I was, you know, the gamer. However, there was one game in which I actually always lost. And that game was a game that David made, and it's called Buzz. So um, thanks for that, David. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fun. That game, uh, I really enjoyed it, but I was uh, notoriously bad at it because I didn't know all the songs and all that stuff. Well, it was designed that way. It was designed as a, uh, a game that non-gamers can play. So I, mm -hmm. you know, I'm glad I was able to give something to your sister that is finally <laughs> winner. There you go, there you go. So uh, yeah, David, uh, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, great. Sunny day. I'm in Brighton, which is, you know, an hour south of London. We're mm. by the beach. Everyone's at the beach, having a drink, having a good time. Life is good. And you're you're here with us inside, sweating your ass <laughs> off in I, front of a mic. I wouldn't be anywhere else. Ah, nice. That's good to hear. So, uh, so David, what uh, excites you in the gaming industry these days? Oh, you know, I'm always interested in what's happening happening next, sort of um, where it might go next, things might go next. So I'm interested in blockchain, which I think we're going to be talking about later. Interested in um, anything, I think, that uh, changes the status quo. So I'm always, uh, you know, maybe VR, maybe AR, mm. uh, maybe subscriptions again that we're going to be talking about later but uh, mm -hmm. you know I like the, the part where things change and uh, that, mm. that always seems interesting to me mm -hmm. you root for a little guy right yeah well uh, you know one thing I've learned is that things change all the time and it's fun to try and guess uh, where it's going to go next and uh, you know make the most of those opportunities mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and so the most important question David mm. what game are you currently playing oh okay so well the game I played since Christmas was a, is a mobile free-to-play game called uh, Love and Pies, which is a uh, casual puzzle game, and it's just completely charming. And then, you know, I finished mm -hmm. it. You know, they, they add le new levels every now and then, but I always find myself at the end. So in point of fact, I'm not playing that, but, uh, you know, if they give me some more levels, that's the game I'm going to mm -hmm. be playing next. 
Cool. All right. And then today we also have Florian here. Florian, how's it going? It's going good. Thank you, Nicola. Awesome. All right. Then uh, without further ado, let's dive into today's topics. And so let's discuss first the use of blockchain in games. So uh, blockchain NFTs have been all the hype over the past couple of months. Um, and it seems like every big gaming company is now exploring the technology. Um, although, honestly, it feels like most of them are doing it out of FOMO just to be able to say that they're doing it, not necessarily because they see some really big potential in there. Uh, but today with you guys, I'd like to cut through the hype and the BS and uh, discuss how this technology could be able or could be used to build new games uh, and enhance existing ones or, or change the current par paradigm in the gaming uh, landscape. So to quickly lay the foundation for this discussion, we're talking blockchain. So what is a blockchain? Um, a blockchain, in very simple terms, is nothing more than a decentralized database. It's a novel way of storing data that makes it extremely difficult to hack or change existing entries. And so this type of technology will see some very relevant use cases um, in industries like finance and logistics. But in other instances, it feels like, you know, trying to kill a mouse with a hand grenade. You know, it's uh, it's very expensive technology and in some instances, it just doesn't make sense to use it. And, and that, at that point, people just should just stick with a good old centralized relational database. That said, um, it feels, I think, there's some potential use cases for blockchain in, in the, the gaming industry. Uh, but I'm, I'm very curious to hear you guys' thoughts. So David, would you like to kick this off? You know, I've gone through a, uh, a journey with blockchain where uh, if you'd asked me six months ago, then NFTs and blockchain, I didn't really think had a place in games. And then, you know, maybe three months ago, I believed that it did, but didn't really understand exactly how that would work. And now I'm out the other mm -hmm. side and really getting excited about the opportunities. And if I think back, uh, that feels similar to me as free to play. I was making uh, console games when free to play came along. And for a while, I was just thinking, ignore it, it will go away. It's not real games. You know, we'll focus on making AAA console games. And then at a point in time when people were making billions out of it, then I think, oh, yeah, you know, evidently <laughs> I'm wrong, but I don't understand it. And, you know, eventually moved across for mobile free-to-play and, and got to a point where I understood it and was using it every day. And, and so, you know, I'm seeing that same, as I say, same trend with uh, blockchain games. And, and I think that uh, a lot of things don't make sense that people are presenting right now as, as games or ideas, mm -hmm. but some things do. And, you know, I think that's just where we are in the cycle at the moment, where people are just trying out ideas. Some make sense, some don't. But uh, I'm excited to think about how, you know, player-owned economies, that's interesting to me. I think you can see that people, players want to do these things. They want to sell their Fortnite accounts mm -hmm. or they want to... Uh, play to earn or and you know as an industry historically we try to stop that happening and I think it would be fun to think well what about if we flip that on its head what if, what if we let people do those things what about if it's a game where you're supposed to be trading things mm -hmm. and it's fine to be making money and uh, once you sort of open that up then all sorts of possibilities are ahead of you as I say some will work some won't mm -hmm. But as somebody that likes making games, and I love it when a technology like this comes along, so you can start having those conversations and working with game designers, uh, other game makers, and figuring out what the possibilities are. 
So, you know, still early days, I think, mm -hmm. but uh, excited about where that might go. Mm -hmm. And so when you're saying player-owned economies, so you're talking about virtual assets that would then be owned by players on top of the blockchain, right? So when they either earn or buy it, uh, it would be theirs and for them to either exchange or sell or do whatever they want with it. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think players, you know, understand that uh, they sort of own things in game in FIFA Ultimate Team, but they don't really mm -hmm. in the sense that they can't put it on eBay. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, they can see that it has a value because people want to spend money buying what they have, a Fortnite skin or something. But yet, They know that it, you're not really supposed to be doing that. And there's a lot of jeopardy. You know, maybe your account gets banned because they found that you've sold your account. So mm -hmm. it's sort of somewhere in the middle. And uh, it'd be fun to push it the other way and say, that's exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Have fun with it. Mm -hmm. This game's yours. You, you own these things. You can sell them within our game. You can sell them outside the game. They're yours. Um, and uh, yeah, interesting to, to new way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And why do you think that companies stop this? Because in theory, they, if you look at, for example, uh, Valve with CSGO, they're quite open with the trading of skins. So the, they're, uh, they have a marketplace where, where, where gamers can sell what they earned. And so they seem to be quite open, but not all of the big gaming companies do that. Why, why do you think that is? You know, I had this, uh, I was having a drink with a friend that runs a big mobile studio. And I was explaining, you know, had that same conversation. Wouldn't it be fun if, you know, you could sell something that the players could then sell themselves and find a market for? And he said, no, that sounds like a nightmare. All of my revenue comes from selling items to consumers directly. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. They just have it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, somebody that has a working business model that's generating revenue, I don't think they're in a hurry to say, let's disrupt this, turn it on its head, let the players own it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think there's uh, some apprehension from companies that might have a working business model to try and do anything too disruptive to it. I think um, you're more, more likely to see that happen from new uh, companies with new ideas mm. rather than necessarily the incumbents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Florian, what, what are your thoughts on this? I actually love a lot of what blockchain can do for me. But um, because as you said, we're here to kind of like cut through the hype a bit. Mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of want to give a, a game designer's perspective on the unique challenges you get there. Because a lot of the conversations around blockchain and, and NFTs and crypto and, and games is made by business people and crypto investors. <laughs> <laughs> um, but usually not by people who are actually on the ground. So this idea that David just mentioned of like, hey, player-owned economies, isn't that awesome? And as a game designer, this is purely a game designer's perspective here, there is literally no real new tools that blockchain offers me to do something that I couldn't do before. Hmm. In fact, <laughs> what it mostly does is create new challenges for me. Um, and I love new challenges, which is, which is always good, but they don't actually come out as the other end as positively impacting as a lot of players actually think. So first is obviously um, the problem that, you know, players have actually always owned their items for the purposes of what it means to me as a game designer, okay? When I give you the Sword of Doom, you have, you have the Sword of Doom, even if mm -hmm. you don't legally own it and can sell it on somewhere else, right? So if I want to create the best game experience, I have that tool already. Um, mm -hmm. If I wanted to make it tradable, I could create, and you know, big, big games have all sorts of auction houses and marketplaces. I could create a place where you could trade in, in a limited fashion. So there is nothing new there, really. 
what it however does if you truly own your item. You can do very fun stuff that makes it very, very hard for me as a game designer to make the funnest possible game. Which is something that sort of, uh, you know, a lot of players who shout about the player on economy and finally getting our money's worth and all that kind of stuff. What they don't see is, you know, you can take your items out of the game, which creates, you know, depending what chain you're on, which blockchain you're using, you can actually take your items out of that environment and sell them on a completely different exchange. So that means that you make it really, really hard for me to have a meaningful economy because at any given time, then an amount of unknown amount of people could just disappear. If you imagine this in comparison, let's just imagine you've been in control of the economy on Earth. But at any given time, some people can just randomly hop off to Mars and withdraw all their wealth. And there's mm -hmm. nothing you can do about it. It'd be a nightmare. And this is kind of uh, the situation that a lot of the, the blockchain games companies will find themselves in because they haven't usually thought through what this player economy actually means and looks like. You have additional challenges of like, hey, you know, um, as you said, Nico, at the start, you know, like, hey, you know, what's blockchain? You need to explain this to players who don't know. Otherwise, you just have mm. crypto investors as players. So you need to have them create a wallet so they can actually hold these blockchain items and all mm -hmm. these kind of things. So it's actually quite, quite hard. And now the interesting thing is uh, when as a game designer, you you are trying to make the funnest game possible with a lot of the blockchain stuff, I suddenly also have to think about how to please investors. And because anyone who in the game, and they don't need to come from the outside, anyone in the game accumulates wealth and has all these tradable items and has all these things like holding virtual plots of land and all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. they suddenly um, have a lot of real economic pressure to change the game so it benefits them financially as opposed to the gameplay. Hmm. Um, so you get into this weird, weird situation where, um, uh, you know, uh, when, when games in free-to-play are, for example, considered pay-to-win, um, you know, so that, that people who invest more money are very obviously winning, which is something you were trying to avoid, right? You don't want that situation. Mm -hmm. Now, suddenly, players have a vested interest in pay-to-win, Meaning that there is a large amount of your player base, it's very important, who actually wants this game not to be the most joyful to everybody. They want it to be the most beneficial for themselves. And they can go and mm. hold your game hostage because it's all player owned. Imagine all these people suddenly go like, you know what, we don't like your latest update. We're going to take all our stuff from this player owned economy off your game. That means your whole game mm. economy collapses, potentially your game. Um, so as you can see, there's like really, really big challenges and i think in the end and this is kind of already happening we end up in these walled gardens where you can't take everything off all these you know big notions of like freedom that are associated with crypto and blockchain stuff you know freedom from central banks freedom from centralization through game developers are, i think in the long run probably an illusion i think that what you just described there as a game designer nightmare sounds like a lot of fun to play so I think um, <laughs> I would love to play a game where I think that I'm trying to outsmart the game designer or the other players and my what I win is something that has a dollar value. That seems like, okay, you know, that's an exciting new challenge for me. And I, yeah, as I say, I can mm. see that it's a headache. I, I would say that, you know, if I look at Top Shot, NBA Top Shot, which is a very popular, I'm not sure it's a game, but, you know, NFT collectible uh, experience, then it doesn't seem to be very important to the player, the blockchain element. You, you can't really take mm. those, uh, those cards out of that game. 
but nobody seems to care. So it's interesting to me just how important blockchain in and of itself is important to the people playing. Mm, that's fair. And don't you then, so Florian, if I understand you correctly, you're saying that for the moment with the current type of games, blockchain is actually just making things complex and not necessarily better uh, from a game designing point of view. Yes, and this is purely from a game designer's point of view, right? The, yeah, from, yeah. A, from a financial point of view, or from a business or even a player's point of view, they can still be quite fun and beneficial. Because mm -hmm. I can imagine uh, as a player that if you have two relatively similar types of games with one uh, having assets which are blockchain-based and the other one having assets which are centralized in the you know database of the of the game developer, you pick the first one, right? Because there's always the chance that either the game blows up uh, or there's going to be huge demand or there's limited supply and, um, and that will drive then engagement uh, user base and actually you can actually make... Uh, 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 worse game more popular by using this type of strategy doesn't it open up the game to different kinds of players like uh, play to invest is that a thing you know but speculative players play to earn yeah. yeah but I mean sure there's play to earn but there's also play to invest or people that are speculating that are going in and saying you know I can see I can predict the way this game is going to go I can see that this is happening therefore mm. I'm going to buy these things so everyone's coming at the game with a slightly different angle and with an idea of how to mm -hmm. beat it. But beat it, beating it means something different now in a blockchain game that with real financial outcome than it might in uh, games mm -hmm. that we've had for the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the interesting things about blockchain is, is just the fact that it's decentralized and no one really owns the blockchain, which I think will uh, be a facilitator for what many of us see as the you know the metaverse and, and the future metaverse where there's a whole you know system where all these kind of digital experiences are intertwined and and what you do in one of them um, has an effect and an impact on what what happens in, in one of the, like another one uh, and because there there would be I, I can see a world where there's different shooter games where you can um, you know, transport your gun skins from one game that you've earned to another one. And so that would never happen without something like the blockchain. Uh, or it must be that both of games, the, like the two games, need to be under the same, like, big publisher or, or developing company. Um, so that could happen. But if, if those companies are um, competitors, um, the only way that would happen is through a blockchain. Um, but I, f I feel kind of excited. I think there's some, some cool things that, that could happen potentially there. Yeah, the problem with what you just described is uh, publishers cooperating. Not, you know, the technology mm. will solve this in an afternoon. Mm. The, uh, the, you know, the politics between publishers is much harder. If you think about cross-play, yeah. getting an Xbox game to play with a PlayStation game, then uh, that hasn't gone well. Mm -hmm. um, and this sounds like an altogether more complex version yeah. of that, right? Well, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I'm I'm uh, I'm hopeful. I like to also introduce another uh, another I think solid use case of blockchain, which is a company I, I stumbled upon more than a year ago, and unfortunately I did right after they raised round um, of a few million because <laughs> like a few months ago they raised round of fifty million. Uh, it was going really fast. It's called uh, So Rare. It's a um, French company. Founders called uh, Nicolas uh, Julia. Based in Paris, and um, so basically the company, is, no, the game is a so based on NFTs, and you basically buy uh, football player cards, and you can then um, use these cards to enter into tournaments. So you can build your own team, enter into tournaments, and then the players that perform best 
receive points and then you actually well yeah depending on the team that you build you get more or less points than your competitors which are other players um and then you can actually gain prizes from that so you can get new cards but also your blockchain cards actually level up so that's a cool thing right so they every time you enter a player in the tournament they gain some experience and that means they have like a higher multiplier in the score that they uh, get and stuff and so it gets pretty interesting and so i mean i think that's that's one prime use case for the for the whole nft stuff did you ever play like magic the gathering or a similar trading card game i played uh, hearthstone for a while yeah but not not a physical one ah no 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 okay because like um, I, I think the main, because everyone goes like, oh, collectibles and like card collectibles and NFTs. Mm -hmm. I think the real, the only difference between the real thing, the physical thing, where you go into a shop and you trade your cards and you pay for them and there's lists and stuff, is that it frees them sort of from the tyranny of the physical, where, um, you know, it's, it's basically exactly what trading cards used to be, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. on a public ledger. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. A piece of data that I came across that I thought was interesting was uh, the size of the collectibles market. And, uh, you know, if you'd asked me, what is video games, about 150, 160 billion annually. And collectibles, if you'd asked me, I would say 30, 40. It's 280. I mean, really? people wow. love collecting things. Now, wow. you know, caveat is... Is that art as well? It includes and cars? Art, includes cars. Uh, okay, okay, you know, so, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, people, mm -hmm. uh, it's something probably quite male. And, uh, is that... I feel probably, but anyway, you know, I think you just feel that. <laughs> collecting things seems to be uh, built into people and people mm. are willing to spend in that. And it's way bigger than I anticipated. Yeah, there's some, mm -hmm. you know, big ticket items in there. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so build a game that has some big ticket items in. People like collecting things. Yeah. That's true. So, well, when, I, when I'm curious, and I have to still really solve this question for myself, is yes, there are people right now who buy virtual collectibles, but... I feel that one of the essence of collecting is usually that you can kind of touch it, or at least mm. on the high high value end for things. You know, sure, you complete a com 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 you know you complete a collection inside a video game of something, characters or whatever. I I'm kind of just curious how important the tangibility factor really is, and no one's been able to answer that to me yet. Fl mm. Florian, you say 21st century. That's true, man. This is going to age like milk, I guarantee you. Okay, boomer, please. Yeah, yeah I'm going to be quoted. And he's like, look, this guy once said how silly he was. Yeah, yeah, maybe right. You might even make it into the intro again. I, I, yeah, I think, I think if we had like VR as like a mass, like a mass phenomenon where like you can actually yeah. live in a, entirely in a virtual world and you have these things, it'd be different. But like right now, there's just no good interface. You know, it's not the yeah. same as like leading people into a room and going like, Here's my Picasso. You know? Yeah, mm -hmm. but if you draw a line from, you know, the amount of time that we spend online in uh, shared experiences 10 years ago to now to five years time to 10 years time, I think probably you will, people will be spending more time online in virtual environments. You know, it's probably not the metaverse. It's not ready player one for a few years yet, if, if ever. Mm. But uh, the idea of being able to show something that you own virtually, I think is going to be quite normal in a few years time mm -hmm. i think uh people investing in these kind of things realize that very well and i think they're indeed speculating that there's going to be some digital platform where they'll be able to show off too and then at that point i mean it's going to be not look at my picasso when you're coming over for dinner <laughs> but it's going to be millions of people who have been able to you know admire what you invested in um so i think that's that's where, where that speculation uh, yeah investment and, comes and from. you know uh, one of these, I talked about the fact that I had to go from thinking it was nonsense to understanding mm -hmm. it. One of it w was, 
you know, why do people put value in a digital item that, that I can copy as a JPEG in the first place? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, uh, you know, lots of people have got their head around it now. But, you know, when I was thinking about pieces of art that I hang on my wall, then I care if it's a real Picasso or mm-hmm. if it's a copy. They're identical. I can tell you the difference. You can get a perfectly... But it's important to people that it's the original version. And I think that once you, you know, you have to do some leap of faith to say okay, the same thing is going to happen in the digital space. But if you, you know, that we've seen that happen in the physical space, that people care about the provenance and the fact that it's original, even though it's discernibly the same as a copy, is important to people. Mm-hmm. And I can just see the same thing happening virtually. Well, I guess we're seeing it to some extent already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fully agree. So I also prepared a little explanation on, you know, because we just talked about NFTs and like the next step of how blockchain gaming could be implemented but let me put on my full-on crypto uh, hat and let me propose to you the i don't know if you guys have heard about the dao mm-hmm. the distributed autonomous organization and so basically there's a theory and i think this might prove to be reality in a, in, in a few decades uh where uh, w- like what a company is a company is basically a bunch of people working together with a common goal And so if you wanted to organize a bunch of people, the most efficient way to do that was a company. Until now, with the evolution of blockchain and the event of blockchain, it is now possible to let humans and people work together um, on like an agreement of code. And so what I can see in the future is a world where there is some kind of like UGC platform. And, and let's say Roblox, for example, where it's very easy for anyone to start building experiences inside a virtual world where like different people can build experiences inside like one universe and they would in the future get paid for the amount of time consumers and users spent inside their experiment experience inside that world if that makes sense so to give you an example um, i've seen a youtube video about a group of people who wanted to make a one-to-one identical replication of earth in minecraft So they were like replicating cities, you know, with freaking Minecraft blocks, which is insane. And so there's a lot of people doing that just for fun. But imagine a world where you could do that. And if if you build experiences in small little games within, you know, cities or, or virtual spaces, and the more people spend time there, the more you actually earn money, like whenever they do in the future. So it's basically a, a virtual entry ticket. Something like that. What it could be, for example, is that in the, in that virtual world, it would have walls. There would, there would be ads, and so if people look at ads inside your game, the the, the experience you created, you would get like micro transactions from that. And these things are all in the <laughs> very distant future possible, and that's something I think um, might be. Cool. Every week, I mean, every week I'm seeing. Uh, more applications of blockchain and you know it started for me in understanding what it meant to the finance industry but then I was looking Mm -hmm. at ICOs and IDOs where it is as an investment vehicle and you realize oh you don't need a cap table you can just uh, create an offering through coins and then people can sell those Mm -hmm. coins to whoever wants to buy them and you can sell some of them and the parent company doesn't know or care so you know i keep seeing these examples of interesting things that can happen in with blockchain technologies and uh, not everything will work but a lot of them uh, make sense to me and they're fun to think about mm-hmm. so, so what i always thought would be really cool is because you mentioned where i thought you were going you mentioned oh you could create companies um, but the companies of the future wouldn't be like that at all but rather you know, every time you submit something, you produce value on a product, say, like you make a game with some people. 
it would actually mm-hmm. log, you know, in, in an external blockchain that you have contributed X amount of stuff to this product and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So I think it would be really, really cool um, not only to see who's skiving off and not really doing anything, but, you know, it's also be like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, like you've worked on this thing and you've contributed a lot and it would probably solve mm-hmm. a lot of legal issues. It would also be like, you know, a token of pride. It would be in your CV. So you can actually, people will verify that you worked on all this stuff and you did these things and you didn't lie. And I think that's where mm-hmm. I think I see real, real value for, for blockchain. That's a cool, like, did you just make that up, Florian? I, I did, but wow. someone's probably made it up before me as it always is. It's, 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 well, be, it's being done. Yeah. <laughs> There's um, cool stuff happening and um, very excited to see where that brings us. All right, so the, let's take off our uh, our crypto hats and let's talk about some news, what has been happening in the past weeks. So uh, let's talk a bit about E3, the good, the bad and the ugly. So uh, what announcements did you guys get excited by? Uh, <laughs> well, you warned me that we were going to be talking about this and then it occurred to me just how few headlines I'd seen around E3 and... Uh, you know, mm. I'm not the first industry person to say it's a bit of a non-event this year for a few reasons. It's virtual, that's a mm-hmm. big one. And there's just not many people announcing things, you know. And it's just a very different type of event. And it just doesn't seem to be a lot of announcements full stop, let alone interesting ones. I mean, I, I always like to see new Zelda titles, you know, I like to see new Nintendo titles, but... You know, mm-hmm. it's hard to get excited about that. You sort of knew these things were going to happen, I suppose. And it's nice to see some strong new Xbox titles, first party. But again, you sort of, they were predictable in some form. There's nothing that really made you think, oh my God, what does that mean? What's going to happen now? It's a mm-hmm. fairly predictable set of announcements, I suppose. Or have, or have I just mm-hmm. attended too many of them? I don't know. So for me, the announcements on these uh, grant events have always been the excuse for the community to get together, whether that's players or developers. Mm. And this is kind of how I see it. So w- without you being actually connect as a commu- to connect as a community, they're not really of much value because I said the announcements are kind of predictable. <laughs> and I'm, I'm also not like 15 anymore. I go, I'm all going waiting for this announcement. I've been waiting for this game for years. So I, I kind of miss that community aspect. And I, I guess that's mm. only because I'm 21st century and we're not there yet that these are so fun virtual that i might i might just you know put on my my vr set and just kind of go in there and and have the same experience mm. i think if you ask um, most industry people what uh, e3 means and not consumers but industry people then it's connecting with you know people in other companies that you haven't seen for a while and you're pitching games and some are landing some aren't uh, you're finding out what's working you hear gossip mm. you get drunk with people that you haven't seen for a while it's a you know, festival and, really isn't it <laughs> and the backdrop is some announcements of some games and you know if you're lucky maybe a, a new piece of hardware or something like that but you know i think when e3 is at its best it's when it's a community event of people that you like hanging out with and uh, lots of fun conversations around that but you know that's clearly missing hard to re- recreate in a virtual form i think mm. yeah so that's true i agree that the gaming industry should be the first one to have you know to create like really fun and engaging digital experiences and where the pinnacle of gaming if they don't manage to do the same thing for the you know announcements of a bunch of new games and bringing together uh, a bunch of the biggest gaming companies in the world i agree that that might yeah that's pretty disappointing 
I also found it fun to see different strategies of these gaming companies. So some some of them took the chance to tell us all about the big titles that they're releasing in the coming years. And so others made me hear play it day one on Xbox Game Pass in my sleep. And then yet others took the opportunity to let us join in on a Zoom conversation on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that was also interesting. Yeah. So and and so what were for you guys some some disappointments, like specific things that you had expected and that didn't come out? Well, I suppose E3 it is, is, is fun when there are announcements of things that you wouldn't expect. And, mm. uh, you know, um, I guess the absence of anything particularly interesting in VR and AR is a, is a shame. And I guess there's nothing that really suggests that cloud gaming is going to take a turn for the positive. So, you know, the absence of those two technologies getting any kind of traction is a shame. What about for you, Florian? Yeah, I mean, I... I've been sort of a bit in a spot for a while that I've been missing a certain kind of forward energy in the games industry a bit. Like people are playing, mostly playing it rather safe. And I can't tell whether, you know, the lack of interesting news right now is because of COVID and it's not life and all these things, or whether it's just gone a bit stale. Even as a, if, if I don't put in my industry hat and just as a player, I'm like, I feel like every big release that I look forward to joyfully, I'm just like, meh. It's just kind of more the same. Okay, you do get an agent in Egypt now. All right. Um, but as like, you know, those big kind of movements that you get sort of externally, like say blockchain, um, all these kind of things, they seem to have found very little representation there. It's kind of become a bit of a, I think there was a time, or maybe I'm telling this to myself, but I think there was a time where the games were pushing technology forward across the board, mm. but now they seem to be more of a recipient of new technology, um, if that makes sense. Uh, it's interesting to maybe think back, I'll ask you in a second, when when you experienced an E3 when it really was jaw-dropping. So I remember an E3 when Connect was shown, and, you know, in hindsight, that wasn't a big change in the industry, mm. but it got everybody talking. It was everybody's uh, conversation that evening. Is that a real game changer or not and then you know there's a difference in opinion that that's fun to think about you know mm. that's why i love the games industry because it's changing a lot and when somebody introduces something that uh, changes what's possible that's that's always interesting i remember maybe uh eth uh playstation 3 announcement year where uh, i think a bunch of videos were shown ultimately but uh, then there was a lot of conversation is that really running on playstation now is that really what we're going to experience those are fun you know what about for you guys? What do you? What are those moments when you think back to E3s that felt exciting for you? Florian, Nicola, you're you're you're, more, you're a guest as well as host today. So. <laughs> That's true. Uh, no, for me, honestly, I um, I never really followed the E3 as such. I've never been there. Um, I look forward to to being there at some point in the future, uh, if ever it happens physically and otherwise. Uh, you know, put on my VR headset and uh, walk around or fly around or whatever is going to be happening. What I, what I keep hearing in my head, but I don't even know if it's E3, but, but it was, um, you know, 16 times the detail from Todd Howard with regards to Fallout 76, which I bought on release, um, which I played for about an hour in total. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's it. Um, was that E3? Do you guys remember? I don't remember. Yeah, but that, that, that's one that, that stuck in my mind. I saw the video on YouTube and uh, I was convinced and, and hyped and uh, in the end, uh, quite disappointed. My reality of E3 as you know, somebody attending is that the sh what's going on on the show floor and all the announcements are really happening to one side. 
And, you know, when I was running a console studio, then it was all about pitching to publishers in in rooms, which crowded, hot rooms, trying to sell somebody on a $10 million game with a PowerPoint presentation on a laptop on your knee. You know, it's a really pretty painful and intense experience. So, uh, you know, in a way, I suppose I'm, well, I mixed feelings about those times for sure. And you, Flurry? I mean, to, to be brutally honest, and this is why I said before, they feel a bit like festivals to me, is mm. they kind of start blurring into one. <laughs> mm. So I can't even tell whether something happened at E3 or at Gamescom or whatever, because most of the time I'm just busy, like, you know, connecting with people I know that I haven't seen for years, live in different countries and like, you know, mm-hmm. like running around like a crazy person and, and well, I'm frankly getting hammered. So <laughs> mm. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you where I'm going like, oh, this was E3 <laughs> where this amazing thing happened. I'm just like, they were all great. But I couldn't tell yeah. you which one was which. <laughs> All right. Cool. So to summarize, E3 is not so much about, you know, the new games, more about like to have either crazy things or just coming together as a community, as game developers or as players to, you know, get hyped together. Of, uh, and then hopefully, especially some, some really cool yeah. new stuff. Cool. So moving on, I looked a bit like around on, on the socials, on the interwebs, um, and I saw some people uh, hyping up two names in particular. So one was Nintendo. So people were somewhere positively surprised by Nintendo. And then most of them were positively surprised by uh, Microsoft and uh, Xbox and Bethesda. And so I'd like to continue that uh, into our next topic. So the rise of gaming subscriptions. So as I said, one of the sentences I keep hearing in my sleep is play it day one on the Xbox Game Pass. And so now I'd like to have a a conversation with you guys on the validity of gaming subscriptions because I think there's a lot of companies uh, in different industries that have successfully used subscription models instead of paying a lump sum. They've made a lot of money doing that. And and now it looks, well, I think it's been tried quite a few times in the gaming industry already. Um, and so I'd like to have you guys' opinion on that. Does it make sense? Um, if it does, like, is it a specific genre or type of games which it will work with or a specific company? Um, what are your thoughts, Florian? So I think in general, from, from a player's perspective, it's always great. question is a bit what kind of player you are. Because from when I look mm-hmm. at most of these subscriptions... I think if you're sort of the sort of gamer who just buys, you know, kind of what's hot at the moment, you know, the type of person who right now has like, you know, one copy Need for Speed, one copy of Call of Duty and that kind of stuff. Um, I think mm-hmm. for, for those people, it's probably great. I think if if you go a bit more niche and you're more like an indie gamer or whatever, I, I'm not sure if you really love it that much. Mm. Partially because, you know, I, I think unless say like Netflix and film, like I always had the feeling that, you know, Games always was a direct-to-consumer kind of model where, like, you know, if your indie gamer is used to, like, is happy to buy, like, 30 bucks to support the studio that they kind of want, I'm not sure if the studio would get a good enough deal on a subscription platform where they're inevitably going to be drowned out by whoever blasts the loudest, which is not going to be them. And also, Mm -hmm. one thing, and this is highly speculative, but one thing I think is going to happen is the more subscription models are going to become commonplace, and I think they will be, it's going to be more and more like the free-to-play space in the sense that, you know, you have one walled garden platform like Apple, uh, and everyone is jostling for the top position to be seen at all because discovery is so bad. And as a result, and this harkens actually back to the last podcast we had, we talked about first-time user experience and why it's better on mobile, mm-hmm. is um, for the all intents and purposes, when I play a game on a subscription basis, it's free. What I mean by free is, yes, sure, I've paid my 
30 bucks or whatever. But in terms of how I browse, it's like the free-to-play market. So I go in there. If I don't like it after five minutes, I, I quit mm-hmm. and I play something else because everything else is also there. And I think it will actually have similar dynamics and similar first-time user experiences, similar kind of experiences as the free-to-play market has now. And the big players, if this becomes a dominant model, will probably have to adapt to that to some degree. So does that mean better games or better first-time user experiences? It, it, or both? It's, will probably mean better first-time user experiences, I think. Maybe it also mm-hmm. leads to better games, but it definitely will lead to more concerns for grabbing your attention quickly and instantly, as opposed to here's my long intro of awesomeness, but you might just go to something mm-hmm. else. You know, Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's also got to be a metric of success, which is probably time spent in the game, that whoever owns the platform will look at and go like, well, is this worth supporting, not supporting? And, and I think they will evaluate it similarly as you know as you would uh, in a free-to-play market except for the payment is time you know the worst thing i ever did i used to have a super nintendo and love that super nintendo played every game to death the worst thing i did was buy uh, one of those copying devices where you could stick a floppy and you could play any game you want because then i had every game and now Mm. there's always the next game to play it sort of really destroyed my relationship Mm. with games because they're all available and you know, playing one, you always feel like you should be playing another. And, uh, and then, mm. you know, I think I can relate to what you're saying there, Florian, that when you have all of those games, then you just are much more fickle about uh, which ones you spend time with. I think with regard to Game Pass specifically, there's like two winners and maybe a loser. I mean, first of all, oh, my God, Microsoft, uh, what a winning strategy for those guys. I mean, buying up these studios really just making something that's so hard to say no to so many great games all part of a very reasonable price uh, and they really going to pull market share away from playstation i think i don't know how you know it just seems like a winning strategy for them i think for the consumer it's great you know um what an amazing set of games that you can play there the you know the things that were announced this week at e3 they're all everyone was Play it days one on game parts, as you say. It's fantastic. The, the people that, I don't know if if you're not part of that club, i.e. you're not making those games or you don't have a relationship with Microsoft, then I think that's hard to compete with, isn't it? If you're making a $70 game for Xbox, then you, you, that just seems, seems tough. If, if mm. a lot of people are spending $10 a month and getting all these games free, why are they spending $70? on a game that, you know, when they got so many for free otherwise. So I worry that maybe it devalues content a little bit um, for anybody that's not part of that uh, of that club. Yeah, that's interesting. Because um, I must say, if you had asked me one week ago if I would ever get the Xbox Game Pass, I was like, I won't need it. And now that I realize that I won't be able to play Starfield if I don't have it, um, or the next Elder Scrolls, I might have to reconsider my position. So... Um, yeah, I, I think it, it makes sense. Th- then again, I think one of the things that makes me less convinced is the fact that from March 2020 until March 2021, uh, I only played one game, and it was Call of Duty Warzone. <laughs> and and I find that for me, I'm a, I'm a relatively competitive player, and I get sucked in into these multiplayer games uh, where I just want to get better and get a higher ranking and higher kill-death ratio. Um, and I feel like kind of a lot of people are similar where I just play one game for most of, of the time. And for these type of players, I, I think like a gaming subscription 
with multiple games doesn't really make sense. That's my now, point. You, you know, at the start of this conversation, you were talking about how, in a broader sense, whether game subscriptions work, you can see that on mobile, it doesn't work. You know, I think that Apple have tried mm-hmm. to present a really good offering of games at a reasonable price point, and it's not working for that type of consumer at all. I think that a mobile game player is not as invested or doesn't see the value in paying $10 a month or whatever it is for Apple Arcade. So for gamers that know they're gamers and are happy to buy a $500 console and spend in the habit ordinarily of spending $70, then somebody comes along and offers all these great games for $10. Perfect. I think that if you're used to getting Candy Crush for free and now someone's asking you to play uh, $10 a month for something that looks similar, I think that's, uh, well, evidently that doesn't work. I fully agree. By the way, completely unrelated, I was surprised that the new Battlefield doesn't have a Battle Royale mode. Very surprised. Doesn't have a single player either, right? So, No, exactly. It's pure, pure multiplayer, but no Battle Royale. Uh, well, we'll see how that pans out. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, for the, for the next uh, DLC release hype, next patch <laughs> hype. <laughs> Get all the players back in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, anyway, okay, I, I, I found that surprising. And I also liked their uh, Xbox mini fridge announcement. <laughs> the Xbox what? Mini fridge. Okay. Like a super hyped announcement where you see like this Xbox thing, because people were joking that it looked like a fridge, and now it's actually a fridge, so you can put <laughs> your energy drinks or your Coke or whatever in there. I didn't see that. All right. With that being said, that rounds up the main topics of today's episode let's get into the our bonus segment are you guys uh, ready to do some pitching so um i've asked my panelists david and florian to prepare a short pitch of a mobile game because i'll be on a holiday in the next two weeks and i'll need something to play and so they're uh, they're going to be proposing some games to me so i'm very excited uh, david yeah when you when you said to me you wanted a pitch a pitch to me and florian means something very different which yeah, is like you want to hear about amazing new game and i was you know i got my powerpoint ready i was ready to go and it turns out you just want to know about an existing game i think we probably call that a recommendation okay so it's a recommendation next time you're on david we're doing like pitch a game i'm going to pull on my gaming vc <laughs> pants and i'm going to uh, see what i want to invest in that's, that's well, a good well, the idea question is, david have you prepped an actual pitch because then you might as well pitch now <laughs> no that's a you know I, i'm not in that mode right now i'm not in pitch mode all right so sell me a game recommend me a game well okay so my game i mentioned it at the front of the show which was uh, love and pie so it's uh it's mm. a really particularly if you're going on holiday you're going on vacation and mm-hmm. you want something easy not too taxing not anything that you know you can have your san miguel you can jump in and out the pool and just have play a level here and there it's perfect it doesn't mm-hmm. try to be anything that it's not it's perfectly presented it's uh really engaging it's just like bubblegum it's so much fun to to play and and the way it feels is so good and i think i love a casual puzzle game that just tries to be the very best that it can in that category and uh to me that's a great example of that and uh, i challenge you not to be drawn into that game that's a good pitch david i like it all right florian you will hate me that's the start of my pitch okay (laughs) nice um i'm gonna recommend the game to you it's a mobile game, as you requested, but it's a premium mobile game. Uh, so you can play wherever you are without internet, and it will work. Uh, it's made by one person, 
and uh, he is now, I believe, lead designer or creative director at Blizzard. Um, a long while back, and it's called Dream Quest. So when you actually find it on the App Store, you will probably think that you ended up on a scam front page. I can assure mm-hmm. you it's not. It has the ugliest art ever conceived. It probably beats Grizzly Bear Driving Simulator and how infuriatingly bad it is, which is probably because it was made by one person. At some point, they just said, uh, you know, uh, sod it. I'm just, uh, I'm just going to keep it as ugly as I can. Mm-hmm. However, it is the best card-based roguelite in my opinion, that you can get on mobile for sure. It's actually been a lot more influential in terms of mechanics for future titles that are actually doing quite well on the indie market right now. And when you download it and you try it on the beach, whatever, you probably say, Florian, what the fuck? Did you recommend that to me? Uh, give it an hour <laughs> or two and you'll actually realize that it's actually really genius. It's very much a game designer's game and it's really, really good at what it does. And I recommend it to a lot of people who had all the same journey of like, why this? Oh, this is actually kind of good. So, What, um, what category is it? Mm. It's basically a roguelite. Uh, meaning you you know you make some progress you die the additional progress you made is basically capped and you get further every time and it's card based mm. um, so it's a bit like half stones a half stone single player but kind of a couple of years earlier than half stone that's a okay. good esoteric option for, if, at least from the way you've described it Florian it is super esoteric I, I, I'm yeah. pretty sure it will only ever be played by games industry people but that's okay and how's this work do you come back in a couple of weeks time and and you no, no yeah no actually I, I i have to like i have to choose now let me see if i can get my drum roll out that'd be cool um and then uh i'll, I'll pick one but i've already decided so both both of your games i think it's, it's like do you want to have something like it really intense and like kind of deep or do you want to have something i know where this is going <laughs> what do you, okay, I'm david, david is pointing like I'm feeling, oh, i know. think you want relaxation uh, you feel I, think, I, I think relaxation. <laughs> i have relaxation so okay let's let's put on the drum roll And the winner is Florian. Oh, really? Okay, wow. Well, I did not expect. Yeah, it was that. really. Um, I'm. Yeah, it sounds interesting. It's like I wanna. I wanna learn more. Um, David, I must say, like I, I really like your game, and I think I might download it as well. You know, just to have to do something when I'm sitting on the toilet. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by a game that takes two hours and is super ugly, but is recommended by. Uh, by, by I think Florian. that's the biggest mistake so, um, you'll make this week. But that's okay. That's your choice. I, I hope it's the biggest mistake I'm, I made this week. So, <laughs> which brings me. <laughs> <laughs> to um to uh yeah the the end of the podcast so i'm going two weeks off so for the next two episodes uh the host will be manu you'll be in very good hands by him because um i will get uh married on, on saturday Ooh. so um while you're listening to this um i might be you know putting a ring on on my currently uh, fiance's finger um and then i'm going on honeymoon so maybe it was a bad choice of me to choose like uh, a free, uh, like a very good game that I might get hooked into, you know, well, and I, I might not, not give my uh, my wife too much attention at that point. But anyway, that's that's my problem. That's my decision. Uh, and hopefully that's the, the biggest mistake I'm making this week. Which Are you still week. offering tech support while you're getting married? And honey, I'm, you know, I'm not sure of Menu's competence to do what you do. No, actually. So I think he's going to he's going to screw up everything and then I'm going to come back and have to like put out all the fires. But um, yeah, it's going to be OK as long as we're having fun. Right. So yeah, gentlemen, um, I thank you very much for being on the podcast with me, David and Florian. It was a good talk. I really liked it. I want to continue the conversation on blockchain and I also want to talk about VR in the future. Uh, so I hope 
Mind you, doesn't pick those topics when I'm gone <laughs> because I want them. Uh, anyway, my dear listener, hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend and uh, speak to you next week. Cheers. Bye.